That was quick. Thank you. Welcome. Um, we're going to continue on today in our study of the book of John. And we've been working through the New Testament together, a chapter at a time, um, and uh, which is good for us to see everything in context and to, to see how it goes. It's a, it's a great way to read. Um, we're in John 18. If you had done what we talked about last week, you probably just read this recently because I had you read a chapter a day or encourage you to leading up to Easter. And so um, you probably read John 18 recently. We're going to talk about it again. Um, keep in mind, and I'll mention it again, that as we move into this part of the, the gospel now of John, um, Jesus has sort of finished this time that he got to spend with his disciples after the Last Supper there in a very sort of intimate way. And he was discussing how things were to get set up in his absence and what that looked like. And then in John 17, he prayed for them, if you remember, and the whole chapter was a big prayer um, of encouragement and of, of things that he was going to do for them and would do for them if they continued to trust in him. But now the events you know, swing in John 18 into a whole different direction as the lead up to the cross takes place. And you know, in the book of John, there's a lot of um, differentiating between light and darkness. And as we've read the whole thing, there's been chapters where the, the light is the focus and chapters where darkness is the focus. And uh, I think he does that as he introduces Jesus in the beginning as the light of the world and, and uh, all these things. And then we see the darkness that keeps uh, popping up in the religious leaders and in uh, the rejection. We see it again now in the betrayal and in all of the actions in this chapter. Um, if, if I were to describe the events in chapter 18, all of them would be very dark in their nature and in what happens. And it's, it's got to happen. Remember, Jesus could stop this um, at any time, these events. But he's willingly going to the cross to lay down his life for his friends, for us. And so the events that we see are, are very, um, they're, they're being done because they need to be done. And uh, it fulfills prophecy throughout. And the all of the Gospels record these few days. So historically, it's probably one of the most reported historical events um, just because of the detail that we have in what's taking place and what happens. So, so that's what's coming um, in this process. Let's go ahead and look at John chapter 18. Uh, together, I'm going to read it to you. It's 40 verses long. Uh, it should be there in your notes, or if you have your Bibles, you can open them, or you can grab a Bible out of the chairs or some in there, too. If you want to follow along your Bibles, you can. But let's look together at John chapter 18, verses 1 through 40. I read out of the NIV, so if you have a different translation, it'll obviously look a little different. John 18, beginning in verse 1. I had to break down this week. I'm sorry. See, aren't you all excited? That's kind of like, oh, we're all ready to read, and he's talking again. But I went and got glasses. I actually went and got glasses, real glasses. Went to the eye doctor and got glasses. These aren't them. I forgot them. But, uh, <laughs> and you know, I was trying to make it to 50, because I'm, I'm getting close now. And uh, I, I, but I finally was like, okay, I'm just, and, and then you wonder, you know, but uh, on the upside, my vision is, there's no problem with my eyes. And my vision just for looking, I'm giving you too much information now, but now I'm stuck, so I'm going with it. Um, I don't see well out of one eye. I never have. It's been off since I was a kid. It's like 
It was 2200 as a kid. It was a little better this time, but I basically don't use one eye. And so I, I overworked the other eye all the time. But my vision in my good eye is 2015 without correction for seeing regular. But when I read, it's just gone. How did, that must, now, all of you that are circa my age or older, that happened to everybody, right? Just one day you woke up and you couldn't read anymore? And you, what is it? What happened? Ah! And I've kept increasing font sizes and everything. But you can only go so far. They only make print so big. You know what I mean? Because if I were to get a Bible now that really had comfortable font, it would be this big. <laughs> when you folded it and about this high. Oh, perfect. Boom, it would take the whole thing. But anyway, I forgot my glasses, so I'm still using the cheaters, which aren't as good. The real thing is really amazing. <laughs> Clears it right up. It's like being a kid again. Okay, sorry. Verse 1. When he had finished praying, Jesus left with his disciples and crossed the Kidron Valley. On the other side there was an olive grove, and he and his disciples went into it. Now Judas, who betrayed him, knew the place, because Jesus had often met there with his disciples. So Judas came to the grove, guiding a detachment of soldiers and some officials from the chief priests and Pharisees. They were carrying torches, lanterns, and weapons. Jesus, knowing all that was going to happen to him, went out and asked them, who is it you want? Remember, all along he's known that. I, I don't like to stop, but Jesus, knowing what was everything, he knew everything that was coming up, which again amazes me because his primary concern isn't for what he's about to go through, but what about everybody else is about to go through. And you think about it. I mean, it's not that he's not, because we know that he's working through it, but... Um, I would say for most of us, when we're, we're usually way more concerned about ourselves at some level. And, 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 and anyway, this is his heart and his concern. He says, who is it you want? And they say in verse 5, Jesus of Nazareth, Nazareth, they replied. I am he, Jesus said. And Judas the traitor was standing there with him. When Jesus said, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. It was a very powerful, I am he. Again, he asked them, who is it you want? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. I told you that I am he, Jesus answered. If you are looking for me, then let these men go. This happened so that the words he had spoken would be fulfilled. I have not lost one of those you gave me. Then Simon Peter, who had a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant, cutting off his right ear. That servant's name was Malchus. Jesus commanded Peter, put your sword away. Shall I not drink the cup? The Father has given me. Then the detachment of soldiers with its commander and the Jewish officials arrested Jesus. They bound him and brought him first to Annas, who was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, the high priest that year. Caiaphas was the one who advised the Jews that it would be good if one man died for the people. Simon Peter and another disciple were following Jesus. Because this disciple was known to the high priest, he went with Jesus into the high priest's courtyard. But Peter had to wait outside at the door. The other disciple, who was known to the high priest, came back, spoke to the girl on duty, and brought Peter in. You are not one of the disciples, are you? The girl at the door asked Peter. And he replied, I am not. It was cold, and the servants and officials stood around a fire they had made to keep warm. Peter was also, also was standing with them, warming himself. Meanwhile, the high priest questioned Jesus about his disciples and his teaching. I have spoken openly to the world, Jesus replied. I always taught in synagogues or at the temple where all the Jews came together, come together. I said nothing in secret. Why question me? Ask those who heard me. Surely they know what I said. 
When Jesus said this, one of the nearby, one of the officials nearby struck him in the face. Is this the way you answer the high priest? He demanded. If I said something wrong, Jesus replied, testify as to what is wrong. But if I spoke the truth, why did you strike me? Then Anna sent him still bound to Caiaphas, the high priest. As Simon Peter stood warming himself, he was asked, you're not one of his disciples, are you? And he denied it, saying, I am not. One of the high priest's servants, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, challenged him. Didn't I see you with him in the olive grove? Again, Peter denied it. And at that moment, a rooster began to crow. Then the Jews led Jesus from Caiaphas to the palace of the Roman governor. By now it was early morning. And to avoid ceremonial uncleanness, the the Jews did not enter the palace. They wanted to be able to eat the Passover. So Pilate came out to them and asked, What charges are you bringing against this man? If he were not a criminal, they replied, We would not have handed him over to you. Pilate said, Take him yourselves and judge him by your own law. But we have no right to execute anyone, the Jews objected. This happened so that the words Jesus had spoken indicating the kind of death he was going to die would be fulfilled. Pilate then went back inside the palace, summoned Jesus and asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? Is that your own idea, Jesus asked? Or did others talk to you about me? Am I a Jew, Pilate replied? It was your people and your chief priests who handed you over to me. What is it you have done? Jesus said, My kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jews. But now my kingdom is from another place. You are a king then, said Pilate. Jesus answered, You are right in saying I am a king. In fact, for this reason I was born, and for this I came into the world, to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. What is truth? Pilate asked. With this, he went out again to the Jews and said, I find no basis for a charge against him. But it is your custom for me to release to you one prisoner at the time of the Passover. Do you want me to release the king of the Jews? They shouted back, no, not him. Give us Barabbas. Now Barabbas had taken part in a rebellion. And blessed be the word of the Lord. Okay. So there's all sorts of things taking place. A lot of drama happening. And, and before we just sort of run through those events briefly in, in uh, John 18, one of the things that strikes me whenever I read this particular chapter is this conversation with Pilate. And um, the irony to me is, but, but I think it, 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 it's something that we're thinking about, is that Pilate's question that he asked Jesus is, what is truth? And the irony is, truth is standing right in front of him. The truth is right there. And, and it, it's like sometimes in our own lives, we're, we're sort of looking for the truth. Um, and, and yet, it might be staring us right in the face. But, but we often don't really want to know the truth. We're trying to find a way to get what we want instead of the truth. And um, we often try and justify or rationalize, you know what I think about rationalize, right? To tell yourself rational lies, to do what we want to do. And what you see in Pilate is that he is more concerned about what the Jewish leaders think and ultimately about what Rome thinks and what the people thinks than he is about the truth. Because truth is right there, standing in front of him. 
And yet he's, he's swayed by the crowd and the pressure that's put on him. And he, he, he gives into that. See, the problem is this. And we have this problem in lots of areas, in our own lives and in society. If there's no standard of truth, if there's not something that you can point to as absolutely true, then what begins to happen is you just start doing what you think is right in your own eyes. And even recorded in the Bible, we have periods of history where that's how the children of God operated, each one doing what they thought was right in their own lives, uh, eyes, and the result is chaos. And culturally, see, we've over the last 50 years, we've secularized our culture, and we've wiped out the standard of truth. So we don't, we, don't have, we don't really have this backing up our society anymore. It's been taken out. And the problem is truth keeps changing. And truth can't change. See, if it's, it, truth is always truth. And yet we get something far different now. And we've, we've substituted tolerance for truth. And, and yet it's not wrong to be tolerant. Because we're, we're supposed to be, and yet we've, we've kind of messed up that word, and, and tolerance now means that we have to, um, without challenging anybody's ideas, we've got to sort of just say, well, that's okay, when in fact there's, there is a truth, and some things aren't okay. Now, it doesn't mean on a person-to-person level that we're to become you know, uh, judgmental, but we have a standard for truth. This hasn't changed. The book is still true, and, and the word of the book is still true. Uh, the Lord of the book is still true. Jesus is truth. And, and this encounter, to me, just, just sets up so many scenarios of, of things that we have that go on with God all the time, where we're sort of trying to figure out how we can get what we want instead of what we should do, and how we justify it, and how our culture does it, society does it. It happens in politics. It happens in business. We, we've lost sort of the idea of ethics, and, and, um, and, and that, that there's a that there is a standard, there's a truth, and it's not convenient just to change it whenever you need to. Uh, you know, that's, but that's what people do. They, they just take it and change it however it works for them. And as soon as you do that, you end up in trouble. And so um, it, it's something that's happened throughout time. It's what sin is all about. But, but I just see it so evident. And to me, the irony is, is, is Pilate's question, what is truth, when truth is staring him right in the face? He's right there. And he's even said in the discussion, I, you know, everything, everything I've said is the truth. What's the problem? I haven't, and he even knows, I find no charge against this man. Well, there was nothing to charge him with. He's not saying anything that's not right. Um, and yet, the Jews want him out of the way. So you see this, this picture of everyone passing off the truth. The religious leaders have said, we don't want this Jesus. They've handed him to Rome. Rome doesn't see any wrong, but, but Pilate doesn't want to deal with the crowd. Or the religious leaders, so whatever, he just passes it along. No truth. And you just keep moving things along to try and work out for yourself. And so we have to be always aware of uh, the fact that there is a truth and there is a standard. And he's the one that we need to be looking to all the time. So we have it going on in the background. And, and again, it's light versus darkness. The truth is the light. And anything that's not the truth is in darkness. And you'll see darkness keep sneaking up here, thinking that it's about to win. So the, the forces of darkness at this point believe that th- this, they're going to win. But see, the, the, light, the light wins. The, Jesus comes back. You can't, can't take him down. And he knows what's coming. So it's all the way. All right, so 
So we're John 18, he's finished praying for his disciples, and he's about to fulfill really his main purpose. You know, he, he came to let everybody know that God loved them, and, and yet he came to be the ultimate servant to give his life on our behalf. And he's, he's now going to allow these events to unfold. It's now the time of his choosing. They've tried to be, you remember we've been reading, they've been trying to grab him for a long time. And he, he hasn't let them. But, but the timing of it is important because of the feasts. And Jesus is going to fulfill in this weekend the first three of the prophetic feasts, the seven feasts that Jesus, that the Jews always celebrated. And, and it's Passover and unleavened bread and first fruits. We've talked about those in depth and they're, they're on the internet somewhere, but each one of those was a, a, an established feast that the people of Israel celebrated and they were to let, um, if people would have had open minds, they could have seen how Jesus fulfills each one. And he does perfectly to the day of each one of what's supposed to happen. The Passover of the broken and the, the lamb, the, the, bed, the bread, he's the bread, and first fruits is the first crop that comes up. And, and uh, Jesus is the first of all of us to, to enter into everlasting life. And, uh, and he fulfills all of those. And then 50 days from that point, and we're in that stretch now, comes Pentecost, which is the fourth of seven feasts, and that will be perfectly fulfilled when the Holy Spirit enters to the process. And Pentecost is the beginning of the, of the, of the summer. It's, a, it's another festival that, that starts off, so there's crops that pop up in each place, but then the big summer harvest comes after Pentecost. And the fifth prophetic festival that Israel celebrated was the Feast of Trumpets. And if you've been listening to me, if you've been talking about things that happened, um, at trumpet sound, what do we know happens? Jesus is coming. The house is ready. He's prepared. He comes down with trumpet sound and his bride goes to be with him forever. So prophetically, four feasts have been fulfilled perfectly in what Jesus has done. And we're waiting on trumpets. We're in the summer season, which is the big harvest. What are we supposed to be doing right now? Harvesting till Jesus comes back. Letting people know that he's coming back, that there's a way for them to have life. That's what we're waiting for. We're the bride. We're prepared. We're waiting for him to come back. But, but while we're waiting, we're to get busy and do the things that he had, which is to be involved in this big harvest. And it trumpets sound. And you, you, you know, when you begin to think about how all this stuff was, and you read, well, what was that about? Some will go. Some will be left. All these things happen. Um, it's very cool. But, but it fits this, this picture that's just been taking place that we've read about all through this gospel and the other ones. So we're now in this summer season. It's the harvest time. We're to be busy about the harvest, but prepared for his return. And trumpet sound could happen at any time. Do you know that? Are you living like the trumpet could sound right now? Because it could. We keep thinking, oh, well, these things have to happen. These things have to happen. No one knows. We're supposed to live like it could happen right now, and it could. Why we sit here? It would be pretty cool. I wouldn't have to get ready for the weekend. <laughs> I'm teasing. But, but we live in that tension, and that's, the, well, that's one of the interesting tensions. You know, I was thinking, remember, I was trying to talk about this over the weekend, because there's an interesting tension that happens between Good Friday and Easter. And it's, it's weird to me, because we, we know what's happened, and yet we're, we went to the cross, and, and so there's this tension, see, that we live in, of two dynamics. But we live in that tension all the time. We live in this dynamic now of 
of that, the, and we live in lots of different tension dynamics. Um, we, that, that we're, we're waiting for him. So we're to, we're to live like he's coming back any moment. And yet we're to live like he's going to be a while. Because we can't stop living. Didn't sit, because lots of times in history, people have said, well, Jesus is coming back on this date, and people have gotten ready and sold everything, and sat back, and he never shows up. And so, uh, that's not what's supposed to happen. So, there's a tension. We live in the tension of the fact that the kingdom is here, but not fully here, the now and the not yet. So, we live, so our lives are in this tension, but we're in this tension now of this summer harvest. We're the bride waiting for our bridegroom, and yet busy until he comes back. And so, so we have that tension, and, and all these things are taking place. All right, so John 18, the first 11 verses, um, sort of capitalize on, or make a point of Judas um, betraying Jesus and then um, bringing the guards to where Jesus was so that he could be arrested. Um, pretty interesting that, because Peter said, I'll follow you anywhere, I'll go with you, I'll die for you. And he, he Peter's a pretty courageous sort of folk, uh, sort of guy, and he... He whips out the sword and hacks off an ear. Um, and they don't make that, they really don't make that big a deal out of it. Because <laughs> it just sort of goes on in this, in this particular encounter. Jesus told him to stop and he put his sword away. Nothing much else is said about Malchus, who's now missing an ear. Oh yeah. But we know in one of the other gospel accounts that apparently Jesus picks it back up and puts it on, healed, which now think about, if you're that guy, how do you follow through on this whole thing? Because you, you just had your ear hacked off, and the one that you've come to arrest picks up your ear and sticks it back on, and you're fine. That's, that's, anyway, that's what happens. But you see, Peter sort of makes a stand, and he's initially very create, courageous, but it doesn't last. And, and sometimes people sort of come up, you know, the, the, but in the, in the hardness of it, they, they sort of drift off. And Peter just couldn't take it. But he did start pretty well. But then in the next verses, 12 through 18, and then there's a couple after it, we, we begin to see the denials take place that Jesus prophesied about. Before the, before the rooster crows, you'll deny me three times. And Peter goes, no way. And yet in open questions, when asked, aren't you one of the disciples? Don't, don't you know him? No. I don't know the man. Um, and yet, you know, we've all, I think, I think we can all relate to that at some level. Uh, that that um, in our choices sometimes we say it, even if we don't say it with our mouths, we choose to act like we don't know him. Because we choose not to do the right thing. But there, there is in that, though, encounter, one of my favorite verses or just pictures of how Jesus does things. And, I, and we're going to skip to it and we'll get it again in a few weeks. But in John 21... You can write it down, 15 through 17, uh, and look it up later. Jesus' response to Peter's denial um, is, is taken care of in John 21, post-resurrection. And, and again, see, I'm always amazed at the, the lengths that Jesus goes to in his concern and his love for us. I mean, the cross was, a, was, was the ultimate. But he was preparing his guys before, and now he still cares about them. On the other side of what he's done. And in, in a post-resurrection appearance to Peter in John 21, 15, it says this. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me? And he answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. 
And Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? And he said, Lord, you know all things and you know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my sheep. Why did he say it three times? He was fixing every one of the denials. And, and, and see, it, it, it completely restored Peter. And the thing is that when the Holy Spirit comes at the day of Pentecost, shortly after John 21, it's Peter that stands up and preaches that first message. And the church springs into life. Adding 3,000. Pretty good message. <laughs> Whatever it was, it was good. And, and so, so it's because, but he couldn't have done that without being restored. See, and that's, that's the heart of Jesus, is to bring us to restoration. And uh, I, I just think it's important that you, we always connect those two things. In uh, verses 19 through 24... Uh, Jesus, all the trials are illegal and behind closed doors and done in the dark. Again, it's a real picture of the darkness of the events that are happening. And, and uh, he, he ends up with Pilate ultimately. And in verses 28 through 38, um, even, even though, like I said, Pilate can't find any reason to charge him, he gives in to the pressure of the crowd and the, and the religious leaders and says, okay, we'll just do it then. And uh, seeing truth in the face, he still doesn't follow the truth. And then ultimately end, the crowd is presented with a choice of who it wants and they would rather have returned to them a murderer, uh, burglar, insurrectionist Barabbas than to have Jesus who had never done anything wrong, who had lived among them and healed them and, done, and they'd choose Barabbas. Again, it's just it's sort of the ultimate picture of the darkness that had enveloped the situation so that people were unable to see light at that moment. And that, that, that darkness and light has is, is just been weaved through this entire gospel. And like I said, in virtually every encounter there, it's, it's, it's all just surrounded in this darkness. But the light of the world isn't through yet. And we'll pick it up right there next time we're together. All right? If you're watching on video, thanks for watching. Um, if you're up in Williston watching, hello, Williston. We're glad you were with us last week, and uh, we had fun. So hi to everybody. If you're just watching on the uh, Internet or something, and you need anything, let us know. Email us, write us. That would be good, but we're going to say good night and pray for the folks here. If you have a prayer request, pass them up to me, and I will be happy.